In regards to some questions, uh, first off, yes, it can, you can record this, <laughs> and I can't give you permission to distribute it, so I don't care if people record anything I say unless it was in the confessional, so that's that's just fine to me. So I should uh, say this, so it's so it's it's on the recording now that I'm being recorded. Is um, I was asked some questions about suffering, how to understand the sufferings the Lord allows. Let's this, this is going to be a long answer. In general, I, I'll just I'll, I'll start by saying something. There's a, a book called Why Must I Suffer? It's by Father Remler. You can read the, the the book. It's from Laredo Press. Why Must I Suffer? And it'll have a lot of things that I'm not going to say. <laughs> but it's a great book. Uh, in Kansas City, we gave it away to, you know, so every family got got a copy of it because I think it's a, a great book. So, and there's a lot of details because he goes through different reasons, and it, it's. I think it's probably 100 years old, or it's been in print off and on for 100 years, and with good reason. I'm really grateful to Laredo for bringing it out, and I recommend it completely. But uh, if people really understood suffering at a deeper level, they'd be a lot. It's a lot easier to suffer. Like I've never had to really sit there and counsel a pregnant woman that this is going to hurt when they give birth. They know that, they understand that, and and then they just see that's part of it, you know. And they can get through that. Um, I mean, it's obviously there's medical things that can be done to help it, but they just understand that that's it. And it's the same kind of idea. Once people understand what's actually going on with suffering, it, at least Catholics, uh, you know, and they should, but uh, it makes it, it change, it transforms the whole thing. I would say. It doesn't mean it doesn't, it isn't suffering, because of course it is. But, so we'll talk about that, but I, you know, the way I am, I'm just going to blab and blab, and so we'll see where where we go with this. But I have notes in my Bible. This is one of my many Bibles, and every one of them is stacked full of notes and different things. And uh, you know, I kind of grab what I have. So that this, I have some notes. But uh, uh, you know, the quick answer is offered up. But why? And what does that mean? And so forth. But the question of suffering is gigantic, and that that is the question. A lot of people, the real objection. It, to uh, to religion, it, it revolves around suffering. They call it the question, you know, what if God was good, why would they be suffering a lot? So this is a, a gigantic question because mankind's expectations are are not accurate. I'll do what I can to cover that to answer this question before we go on to the, to, before we talk about the other ones. But, uh, um, you know, so if we're going to have an approach in an intelligent way, we need to back, a, back up and look at how, where it came from. And I think what we'll do is we'll talk about, uh, we'll, we can talk about, uh, the fall and the results for individual and the fall and the results for society. And then, and after, I think then we can put that with perspective, bring our Lord into the picture, not that he's out of the picture. And then we can start talking about, uh, how these things apply to us. So, uh, there's going to be a lot to say. There's a lot more than I could say, but, uh, you know, we'll just start with that. So I'm going to probably oversimplify things, but that's how it is on one of these kind of things. So everything starts with uh, Adam. In fact, that's why there's such an orchestrated attack against uh, against Adam for the past 150 years or so. He's a feast day. His feast on December 24th, St. Adam and Eve. We're all descended from him and his wife Eve. The, the Greek side of the church is more, you know... It, is more clear about that, but we are. You can look in the Roman Martyrology for this day, and, and on December 24th, the mystery plays in, in has been in, in Germany in, in the Middle Ages, were done in the churches and all that. And so, 
the mystery play in, in the mystery plays when they had uh, the Christmas time of the year, that time of the year, they had the Garden of Eden, the fall, and all that. And so they had the trees in the garden, and all that. that's where a Christmas tree comes from. So all this that, that's Christmas trees come from the mystery trees, and, the, and they had little things that symbolized hosts on it. But you can, I'm not going to go into that at all. I'm going to start talking about the mystery plays in Adam. But it goes back to Adam. So when Adam and Eve were created, nature was unfallen and orderly. Animals obeyed man. A man's lower powers were subject to his higher powers, and man himself is perfectly subject to God. And so everything's perfectly ordered. And those are the good old days. And everybody kind of remembers the good old days in some weird way. You know, every culture harkens back to it. The fact that it was all ended on this day they were created, I think, is kind of ironic. But we that we have some kind of primeval memory of this or some you know or tradition so everybody kind of looks back for this golden age and, and that was before the fall so uh, anyway Gary Lagrange is the last great Thomistic theologian died in 64 but he talks about this original state it's called the state of original justice and you can think of a triple harmony there's a harmony between God and the soul um, since God is uh, God the soul is created to, to obtain eternal life by knowing and loving serving God you know there's a perfect harmony between the soul and the body. The body's made to serve the soul. and the pa- So that means the passions were totally under the control of right reason, um, and it's lightened by the faith. And uh, the direction of the will was strengthened by charity. And the body was not subject uh, to injuries or sickness or death. So it was, it was all perfectly ordered. If Adam wanted to be mad, he'd look over it. He'd be just as mad as what it called for. If it was reasonable, then he'd be done. Totally done. You know, etc. Everything's perfectly ordered. There's perfect harmony between the body and the rest of nature. Animals are docile; they're obedient. Uh, earth brings forth crops without any hard labor. And since we're all farm people here, we know you know how different this is between docile animals that are not docile, and then uh, you know, and uh, and farm work. So there's this triple harmony in the state of original justice. And you can, you know, I just picture three little squares. Put God. You know, God and, uh, on, on the top of one square and Adam on the bottom of that square. So God over Adam. Then the soul over the passions, which is substitute the passions for the whole body, and the body over nature, okay? So God over Adam, the soul over the passions, the body over the rest of nature. So that's, that's a harmony. There's a perfect harmony. God is over Adam. The soul is over the body, and the passions in the body. The body's over all nature. So, okay, so there's the disaster of original sin. It, it comes in here. Now, before we go on into that, I want to make a remark because it's very common with pious people. I call it the Steubenville error. I'm really grateful to Steubenville and the great uh, biblical scholarship that's come out of there. But there's an error that, that, that I think really in Catholic circles has been promulgated out of there, and it's just too bad because these people do great work. And I, so I'm not hacking at them, but I'm hacking at there. And that's that somehow the fall could have something to do with the passions, or, or like Adam, Adam fell because he let the devil into the garden, you know. And that's the worst part of there. There's other things that are implied in some of the stuff they say. But so he he let the devil in the garden, so he sinned first because he wasn't protecting his bride Eve. But that's absolutely wrong. So what you do, what you're, you get the whole order wrong because Eve fell and then Adam. And we fell when Adam fell. So Adam didn't fall, then Eve fell, and then Adam fell again. I mean, it doesn't make any... It doesn't work like that. Eve fell, then Adam. St. Paul writes about it, but I mean, that's how it is. And it had nothing to do with the passions. It had nothing to do with that at all. 
so what really happened? And I have this in my Bible. And Cornelius Lapide, the serpent told a series of lies. You shall not die. Your eyes shall be open. You shall be as gods. You shall know good and evil. Each one of those are lies. So Eve sinned. She committed five sins. So here's Cornelius Lapide. He's citing St. Ambrose, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. John Chrysostom, and St. Augustine. Cornelius Lapide. In the first place, Eve, followed later by Adam, committed the sin of pride. Undoubtedly, when Eve and Adam heard, you shall be as gods knowing good and evil, they were tempted to gaze in admiration at the growth and praise of their own excellence, and therefore turned towards themselves. They swelled up with pride, so their hearts drew back from God, and then at last they desired omniscience and, and a certain kind of equality with God, as was the case with Lucifer. From this sin of pride immediately followed impatience and indignation of soul, being restricted and being from prohibited, and then he goes through the sin of curiosity, then the sin of gluttony, and then an error in this in understanding. For both Eve as well as Adam believed the words of the serpent, promising omniscience and immortality if they ate from the forbidden tree. And this led at last to perfect disobedience and transgression of the commandment. Now, Eve committed five sins. Adam commits eight sins. Pride, first place. Second, excessive desire to please his wife. Third, sin of curiosity. Fourth, sin of unbelief as if God had only figuratively spoken of death, then absolutely threatening him. Fifth is the sin of presumption, as if the, this would only be a small potatoes to do this. Sixth, the sin of gluttony. Seventh, the sin of disobedience. Eighth was the sin of making excuses. You know, when he says, oh, the woman you made for me. <laughs> um, and then he poses the question. If you ask who sinned more grievously, Adam or Eve, St. Thomas responds that if the sin is considered in itself, Eve sinned more grievously, because both, both because she sinned first and also because she induced Adam to sin. And therefore she ruined not only self and him, but all, also all us. But if the circumstances of the person are considered, Adam sinned more grievously, both because he was more perfect and more prudent than Eve, and also because Adam had received the commandment directly from God, whereas Eve had received it only through Adam. So that's the fall. And if you want to read something, uh, St. Ephraim of Syria has a, a wonderful commentary on Genesis where he writes uh, he, he writes in detail about it. Very, very interesting. But anyway, so that's the fall. And I've just given a little more details than maybe usable because it's denied on the one hand, and then it's confused on the other. And this is so common for him to think that Adam fell first by letting the devil in, you know, and he was afraid. He was afraid to suffer for, he was afraid to get, he wasn't afraid because his passions are perfectly ordered to his soul. Do you see, he couldn't have, that's not, that, that wasn't something that could happen like that and, and, and fall like that. So anyway, consequences. And he's, you know, he can't get hurt and he's immortal unless he sins, you know. So anyway. So the consequences. Well, now we're in the state of fallen nature. Um, so they were in the state of uh, original justice. That's how our, our parents were created. Now the state of fallen nature. And then there's the state of restored nature. We'll talk about that later. But, uh, okay, so original sin destroy, destroys the state of original justice. And so now human nature is left to install its devices. It lacks the grace, the state, sanctifying the graces and, it, and the gifts. By our own natural power, then, heaven is completely out of reach. And this is important to realize. There's no way to get to heaven. This is going to be important later on when we're talking about suffering and when our Lord comes. Because heaven is out of reach. And then heaven is, so you can't get there by own powers, and it's completely slammed shut to all men. Thank you very much, Adam. And then, since the fallen nature is a sinful condition, it's more difficult for man to do good and avoid evil than if he'd never been in the state of grace. So it's more difficult to do good and avoid evil. Thank you very much. So there's this triple harmony and original sin 
destroys it. So God lets the punishment fit the crime. If you remember God over Adam, soul over passions, body over rest. So God told Adam to obey, but Adam rebelled against God. He said no. So he loses sanctifying grace and the gifts, including the gift of integrity, which holds this whole harmony together. So Adam rebels against God. Now we have our passions rebelling against right reason, which we all experience, and we have nature rebelling against us. And we're all country people, you know, farm and ranch work is work. <laughs> That's just one of the many things, you know. But uh, So we have Adam against God, passions against right reason, uh, and nature against the body. And uh, so, supernatural problems. Uh, supernatural life can only come from God, and Adam's just committed supernatural suicide, so is Eve. They're, they're not in the state of grace anymore. And so, what they've done is, is they've actually chosen sides, in this war that the devil struck in heaven, and so they've taken sides. They've enlisted in the army of the devil. That's actually what has happened there, and that's they did it for all of us. And people say, "Well, that's not fair." Well, I mean, it might not be fair that we're every time you turn around, we have America has a war with somebody. You know, you, it's the war of the day. You can't keep track of all the places we blow up, and uh, nobody asked me, nobody asked you. They just do it. Those are our leaders. And uh, so we're in all these wars that we didn't have anything to do. It's a, it's a similar thing. So we lose not just the bondage to Satan, but he loses the gifts of integrity, which is this harmony. We'll come back to that. And he loses the gift of, of impassibility, which, which means he can suffer and be sick, and he has to work hard. And he loses the gift of immortality, which means he's going to die. His body is going to be separated from his soul none of which was willed in the beginning. Integrity, the loss, loss of gift of integrity leaves man's powers and their natural condition. That harmony's gone. And the nat- that means our natural condition is disharmony. Okay? So those, these are, we're wounded. And we're very wounded. So we have problems in our intellect and our will. In intellect, we have the wound of ignorance. So our intellect has been darkened. You know, Adam's a super genius, but I don't want to... We're talking about suffering, and I could go on on and on about Adam. I'm just going to... I'm trying to hit high points. But anyway, from then on, it takes effort to learn and understand the truth. It, it takes effort. It would have been effortless before. His will, the will, will, the wound of malice. The will's been weakened. Now we suffer weakness in the face of evil. And the passions, we have two wounds. The wound, so there's there's a... Uh, so you got the wound of malice in the will, and the wound in, in the passions. You have the wound of weakness. It's hard to actually struggle for the good. And then we have the wound of concupiscence, and uh, that's a, a three dollar word that means the rebellion of the sense appetites, like our passions and our emotions against right reason. And so they drag us around. And uh, if we don't, if we're not careful, we can be led by our passions and our appetites. In fact. That is the American way of life. That's what advertising is all about. I've done conferences on it that you can listen to because thankfully people have them up online. Even though I can't give permission, they're already there and, uh, and I'm really glad they're there because you can listen in detail. But if we don't, if we don't lead our passions, then they'll lead us. And that means they'll lead us down. Okay? So it inclines us very strongly to sin. When we're led by our passions or emotions instead of by right reason, then we're being unreasonable to the degree that we're actually led by our passions. To that very degree, we're acting like animals. Except animals can't act below our nature and we can. 
So advertising in this country is all set up to take advantage of the wound of concupiscence. There's no such thing as a cereal advertisement that says, this cereal is the most reasonable thing to give your children. It's exactly blah, blah, blah. No, it's all about, you know, because if they're being honest, they say little Junior's going to be ricocheting off the wall. His sugar levels are going to be too high. He's, you know, he's going to, it's going to rot his teeth, blah, blah. No, they're, yeah, who isn't this going to be fun if we eat this, you know, and it tempts it. And then and the kid pitches a fit in the cereal aisle and mom gives in, you know, because nobody can spank their kids anymore. And, uh, because their passions aren't aligned. You know, the whole thing. So this is it. So St. Thomas teaches before the fall, man only needed grace for eternal life. But we need grace for eternal life and to remit our sins and to support our weaknesses. So we need it all over the place. In fallen nature, we naturally want to please ourselves, even at the expense of others, and against the rule of reason. Men are naturally selfish. And everybody, all you have to do for that is just look at any child until he's tuned up. And nowadays, a lot of the children are not tuned up. Even the people that are, that are, you know, really trying to go to Mass and doing that stuff, they absolutely don't tune up their children. That's where we're at. So we're suffering, we're, we're suffering from that. So, we're damaged goods. We naturally tend towards selfishness. We tend to seek our own personal desires without thinking about the common good about God. And we're a mess. You can't fix that without grace. And then you put actual sin into it, and we've got really, we really start having problems. And that's reality. So we have to start there. That is reality. And this is where people do not start. Like, just as an American, we're Catholics, but living in America, there's some weird thought. I'm, I'm going to oversimplify it, and this isn't being completely fair, but if we just put a ballot box out there and everybody votes, isn't it going to be great? Because this is just the kingdom, you know, it's the city set on a hill, and it's the greatest government possible, blah, 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 you know. And uh, you just can't believe it. And all you have to do is say, is it really? Are we producing virtuous people? Is this really the path to heaven? Is this the way to go? In so many ways, you program that when you say that, people's default setting is, "I must hate America." No, I love America, but I don't love what we are, and I don't love I don't love how our people behave. I don't love how our government is. You know, I want people to go to heaven. I could care less. You know, if they have thirty-two flavors of ice cream, I want them to get to heaven. And uh, this is not a good place to get to heaven from. It's not the worst place in the world, but it, it's you know, it's I'd say it's one of the suburbs of hell right now. So that you know, you could do worse, but we're we're down there. And that's because we don't even think of it. We don't admit there's such a thing as original sin. We can't even look at it. We, we, the spiritual doesn't admit, is, is not allowed in American discourse. Virtue, getting to heaven. God, you know, they can hold up a Bible and say something about God, but it better not really apply to anything. Or else it's some God that we haven't heard of, you know, that approves of things like massacre and your babies. I mean, I don't, you know, so this is America. So, I'm gonna totally shift gears here, and, uh, so that's the raw material we're starting with. Uh, so that's our, our position now. I want to shift gears near here, and I want to give credit to Father Edward Lean, a, a great spiritual writer of about a hundred years ago, roughly. He's got any number of books that are really worth reading. But I, I want to. There's some reflections here. I, I want to talk about humility, and and like where are we going with this? You'll see. But I want to talk about humility because humility. Is, is this, is a foundational virtue. We're talking about how we got in mess and just a catastrophe. What's the solution? Well, I want to start by talking about humility and we'll go from there, but it's a virtue that's derived from this profound reverence towards God. Because we recognize Him as God. So we see our, our position and His position and we want to conduct ourselves accordingly. 
So humility is really seeing the truth and acting in the truth. That's what humility is. So uh, it, it, as, a, as a contraposition to this, sometimes pe- people think humility is saying, oh, I'm not really, well, you know, and walking around and, and, and just saying bad things about yourself and weird exercises like that. So as if, so you have somebody, here's a guy that's really a great pitcher, and you say, you're really a great pitcher, and he says, no, I'm not. Well, that's false humility. If he's a great pitcher, he should say, yeah, give the glory to God. I am a great pitcher, but that's, God gave me that ability. That's humility, because he's, that's the truth. If he's really a great pitcher to say you're not a great pitcher, well, like, everybody knows you are. What are you, you're not fooling anybody. And this is not a pious, it's not humble. Do you see what I mean? So hum, humility is not denying our gifts, but it's not denying our faults. It's like, this is who we are in that sense. So we're not claiming anything above our due and we're not claiming anything below what's due to God from the things that he's given us. Because anything good, the only thing we can really claim is our own works or our sins. So everything else is from God, you know. And once we start seeing that, we're on the we're on the right path already because you say, that's right, if I have any of these good things and I do, everybody does, uh, those are all God giving me those. So I give him glory and I, you know, I take credit for my sins. Anyway, so... To be humble, we understand who we are and the relationship we have with God. Irreverence produces pride and humility is produced by reverence. Because reverence is like, that's God and I'm not. Reverence towards God, we have to be submissive to his will because he's God. Because as soon as we realize God, anything he will, we say that, that will be done. And as we start realizing what that means, that means we want to be submissive to his will in every aspect of our life. This is his will. I want to be submissive to his will. As soon as we know what his will is, we just say, oh, that's what I want to do. I set my will. But we also have to be submissive to his providence. And this is an important key to understand. We're going to get to it, but this applies in spades to the problem of suffering. Okay. So if we're going to be reverent towards God, we submit to what he wills, and we submit to providence, which is how he's decided to order things. And he didn't call anyone us up and say, how would you like me to run the universe today? You know, or during your lifetime? Or, or, or what do you think? How, how, what do you think about world events? How should I set this up? And the, yet, the, and implicitly, we're tempted, insofar as we're not humble, to think like, what? You know, I can't believe this. Well, believe it. You know, he didn't call you up. He didn't call me up. He didn't say, hey, how should I run the universe today? You know, what do you think? No, it's not. So now this is really important, too. So when he created the universe, he created a universe in which the primary good is going to be love. For You know, why? Because that's what a free will is given to us so that we can love the things we ought to love. He gave us a free will. But but it's free. This is another thing that people don't want to admit. And the reason they don't want to admit is because it means it have to take responsibility. And the more we meditate on how really dramatic it is to have a free will, the more humbled we ought to be. You know, when people are saying da-da-da, it's that when you're pointing that finger at me, there's three more pointing at you, buddy. You know, because they want to blame their parents or the society or whatever instead of saying... and. You know, for whatever their troubles or sufferings, instead of, wait a minute, you know, I have a free will. I'm responsible for things. And we'll tie this together in a minute, but you can use your free will rightly or wrongly. God doesn't will directly, will use it wrong. His intention is that creatures use their will correctly, but he permits it because he that was his choice to make a universe where creatures had free will, where they could choose to love. 
But if they can choose to love, they can choose not to love. If they can choose to do right, they can choose to do wrong. But that's the whole drama. And he rewards the proper use of the will with merit. And do you see what I mean? We're getting into that. So, so I want to read something here. <clears throat> it was in the order of God's providence that his creatures should have the power, if they so chose, not to respond to his designs in regard, but on the contrary to bring disorder into creation by the perverse use of their faculties. In other words, it is in the order of God's providence that disorder would be in the universe if men chose that it should be. And they did. That's why we talked about the fall. We made that choice in our parents and all of creation uh, fell out of harmony at that moment. God didn't will it, he'd permit it. But because he permitted, he also permitted all the consequences that fall from it. Like he, like sometimes, you know, when you ask people this, and I've done this before, when I drop a pen uh, like that, why did that pen just drop and hit the table? And people start talking about gravity and because you let go. And all those things are true. But at the, ultimately, underneath all that, what's the, what's the foundational reality? Because God wills it. Or it wouldn't go like that. If he didn't, it'd sit up there just like this when I let go, you know, like some strange magic trick. But he willed it. It's the same thing. Like you tell people, if somebody comes up and punches me in the nose, and it's a sin, I didn't do anything at all, I'm just standing here randomly, comes up and, and knocks me out. What didn't God will about that? There's only one thing God didn't will in that whole thing. It's the sin and the will of that guy. But he didn't just stop the fist. And when the fist hit me, he didn't just say, oh, that's not going to hurt you because he's sitting. Do you see what I mean? He, or, or, he, ordered, he set up a providence it's the order of God's providence that disorder will be in the universe if man chose it should be. And he didn't will it, but he permitted it, and therefore all, commits all that permits all the consequences that flow from it. And with sin comes strife and injustice. So every one of us has been born into a world where the sinful actions of men determine a lot of what happens. A lot of it. In the church and out. We're caught and dragged into a system where disorder reigns. And it reigns in our own... Setting aside the Blessed Virgin Mary, it reigns in our hearts, too. That's the whole drama of our life, is to try to bring order out of the disorder. And we can only do that with God. But we are bound, by being born children of Adam, into a system like this, to have to endure buffets and disorder. It can't be escaped. All these weird political systems that promise kingdom of heaven on earth and peace and harmony... None of them work. There's only one solution. It's Christ or chaos. There's, there's absolutely nothing in between. Christ or chaos. And the reason it took so long to get to chaos right here is because our ancestors were brought out of their pagan chaos. You know, Mozart doesn't just happen. And all of us that are Germans sitting at this table, all you have to do is read what the Romans, with Tacitus, when he's writing about what the Teutonic tribes were like. And it's like a complete, absolute, sodomitical nightmare. So that's why England and Germany have so many problems with sodomy, because they're going back to their stuff. And they, they revolted, and they, they've thrown away God. And here we are again. But it wasn't just like kapoof. If you look at what it was like when St. Boniface came from England and hit the German uh, people, and, you know, before he gets chopped to death by the Saxons with the war axes, you know, his own, you know, people. If you look at what St. Boniface was up against, and then you look at Mozart, that was a lot of prayer and disciplined suffering. And those people became great. And now they're a nightmare.
And you can say that about every tribe. I'm just because a lot of us are German, German ancestry here. You, you can just pick any one of them. Civilization doesn't just happen. So everything going on, we've been spending, as it were, we've been just all the, the, this great effort put in by the saints and our ancestors to crawl their way out of that nightmare of paganism. And then we think, and we're standing up here on this mountain that was built by them, and all we've been doing is like drunken clowns chopping everything down, and here we are again. You know, only this time we're going down, you know, because it's one thing to be a pagan and not know Christ. It's another thing to be a pagan that does know Christ, because the neo-pagan is a way more deadly thing. That's what our Lord is talking about when he talks about seven worst devils, because it was swept clean. St. Boniface and the saints that helped hit him. And then you have the revolt in the 1500s, uh, where so many of the priests, just like these priests nowadays, want to sleep around, and they take off. Things just start collapsing, 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 and here we are. But Mozart didn't just happen. You know, that's not what the Romans were encountering. And you could do it for any tribe. I'm just using it because most of us are, have a lot of German in us. Okay. So anyway, in the actual order of things, I can read from Father Lean. In the actual order of things, wrongdoing, injustice, tyranny, and persecution of the good are in the order of providence. I want to read that again. Because we need to remember this. In the actual order of things, wrongdoing, injustice, tyranny, and persecution of the good are in the order of providence. We are by nature children of a fallen race in a fallen world, and we're subject to the consequences of the fall. And that's why I talked about it in the beginning. And so all of us are degrees of error and that's the whole thing to draw it out. When you're a little kid, going to the catechism, your parents trying to, be, to train you up. If you have proper schooling, which uh, most of the schooling right now I think is schooling and vice and not virtue, but proper schooling li- li- starts lifting people up out of this kind of chaos. Since this is a, such an important question, and I have stuff in the Bible here, so because it comes up. Okay, so, where there is error, there are necessarily mistakes, suffering, conflict, and want of harmony. It can't be helped. That's how it is. I mean, in fact, this is why we need an infallible church and why it's such a corruption of the right order of things for the people with their collars on not to give people the truth and nothing but the truth and not cut any corners, no matter how painful it might be to hear it. Because the truth is going to set us free. Our Lord himself tells us this. And and that doesn't mean we get to cut any corners. And that's all you see from the Pope on down right now. You just want to pull your hair out. Like, this isn't complicated. We already know what our Lord taught. Who are you? It's not your church. God doesn't will sin, but he willed that condition of, of things in which sin is possible. And therefore the disorder that arises if sin becomes a fact is in the order of his providence. The reign of sin means the reign of injustice. Whoever exists under the reign of sin is necessarily involved in a system where wrongdoing predominates, where H must suffer from the effects of that wrongdoing. In other words, it is the law of things as they actually are that we must continually suffer from others. It is the condition of our being that we should be the victims of others' abuse of their free will. It belongs to our position that our desires and inclinations should be continually thwarted. We should be at the mercy of circumstances. And it's our duty to bear that without resentment and without rebellion. Why? That doesn't mean we don't, if there's stuff we can correct, we can correct. 
And if there's stuff we can protest against, we can protest. And if there's stuff we can change, we can change. But we still have to bear it without rebellion and without resentment. Because if we rebel and resent, we're saying, at least in our hearts, well, this isn't due to me. As if I am in the condition that Adam and Eve were in when they were created. I'm not an original justice. And by the way, it does belong to me. Because everyone is saying at this table is a sinner. And everyone that lives, if we have, say we have no sin in us, we are liars. That's what St. John tells us in 1 John. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our Lady, that's why she's called our tainted nature solitary boast by the poets. Because he left her out of it, because she's the new Eve. By the way, this, there's, this is something, when you're with a Bible Christian, it's actually pretty easy to explain to them. They'll be astonished by it, maybe. Uh, but yeah, if you do it in the right way, and you can just point out to me, you can do the same thing. That all, the whole trend uh, in salvation history is from the promise of fulfillment, from the lesser to the greater. They'll agree, because that's scriptural. You know, and there, you can go uh, Hebrews 10, 1 and 8, 6, and I'm not going to quote them, I'll go on too long. But you can point out, if we say, uh, you know, Adam was made from unfallen earth. If the earth hadn't fallen, it wasn't stained by sin, and that's what Adam's body was made out of, and then God breathed into that body an immortal soul. And if you say that Our Lady's a sinner, then what you're saying is that Adam had a privilege, Our Lord doesn't, because his body was made from sinful matter. You know, And anybody that says that, as far as I'm concerned, is not only a, not a Christian, they're blasphemy because they're putting Adam above Our Lord. And I think... And I've had this with Bible Christians. If you, I'm, I'm going very fast at this, but I've had it. And if somebody's interested in the truth, they realize that has to be true because anybody that really loves the Lord realizes He is the Lord. And what what you're dealing with is not people of bad will. Sometimes you're people of bad catechesis. That's not the same thing at all. Being wrong is one thing, but being wrong when you're willfully wrong is a whole different thing. But we're in this thing, so there's going to be error anyway. The moment we feel resentment at anything painful that happens to us as a result of the actions of men or things, at that minute we're resentful against God's providence. This is the key to suffering right here. Because the suffering is part of God's providence. Now it has a deeper meaning, but we have to see this right away. It has other meanings. God, what we're doing, if we are mad at the action of men or things that hurt us, what we're really doing is, and I'm not talking it doesn't hurt, of course it hurts, is we're rebelling against God's determination to create free beings. Because this is a consequence of that. Do you see? That's why we started with the fall. If there's any, interrupt me if this doesn't make sense, you know, because I'm, I'm talking. But okay, so then we're not being humble. We're pretending that we're something we're not, because we're fallen and we've added to the chaos ourselves. And we're pretending like we're the only person, you know. Why shouldn't everything be fair? Well, excuse me, where did you get that idea? Are you Adam before the fall? No, you're not. Then resign and join the rest of fallen mankind in that way. So even if we've never done anything wrong, which is ridiculous, we shouldn't claim that we're exempt from the suffering. Humility is nothing more than a practical determination to abide in our our rightful position. And that means we're members of a fallen race and we're all in it together. We don't want to contribute to the thing, but we're in it. Do you see? So... We should follow our Lord's example. And what's our Lord's example? So this is where I want to talk about our Lord. And I'll probably, you know, I, but let's talk about our Lord a little bit here now. Look at our Lord. When our Lord becomes man, he chooses to become 
a man. I know that sounds like redundant, but he chooses to become man. And that's something else. So he comes into this position, but he chooses, freely chooses, to take our condition. He didn't. Cho- he did not sin, but he didn't complain about the consequences of sin. You know. So when he's born, he's just a peanut. You know. He has to get. He gets circumcised because he's a Jew. Why? That, you know, he doesn't need to, you know, but that's, that's it. But then they have to flee to Egypt. Well, he, he didn't say, well, I'm God and we're going to do miracles and we're going to go zipping over to, you know, they go to the worst place in the, and how did they go there? They fled. He didn't do miracles to get over there. St. Joseph had to take Our Lady and they had to flee at night. He didn't get to steal himself out of the conditions of men. When they came back, the, the different things, everything he goes through, he doesn't deal. So he holds himself. So he does it. He's given us the example. I became a man. He's given us the perfect example. If, no, he doesn't. He hasn't done anything wrong. He he's coming to give us the example in that way. He says uh, we should take, he does it without resentment. And look at the treatment he gets at the hands of everyone. And we'll, we can look at him for an example, and I will develop that more later. But anybody that can look in his own heart doesn't have to look any farther than that. That even if even if you don't look and see any sin right there, which I hope you don't, you can still see tendencies towards it and maybe disordered passions, etc., etc., etc. And uh, until a person is in a transforming union, which hopefully we all get there in this life, uh, but until one in, there it is. So it's our sinfulness that lends us this tendency to try to exempt ourselves from suffering. Because they're thinking, it's not fair, why should I do this? I, I am here. Now, what's the purpose of it? So I want to do this. Oh, I want to say one more else. The more just we are, the more we're going to suffer. Because if you're in an unjust, unbalanced, evil world that's rejected truth, and you're trying to be just and, and striving to holiness and follow the truth, the more you do that, the more unjust the world is, the more you're going to go across the grain of everything and everyone. And so the more you'll resemble our Lord, which is the more you'll get that kind of treatment. So we have to expect that. So this is why we have to expect it. We can't rebel against it. Well, I mean, we shouldn't. And if we do, we, should, we need to repent and go back and catch ourselves. And, and, and but what, what should we do in those moments? Wait a minute. There's a whole series of things that I'm doing. Now, in this book, Why Must I Suffer? We'll go through those reasons. I'm just going to suggest some of them right now. First off, I have reparation for my own sins and disorder I've brought into the world. I have to make reparation because I'm not Our Lady and I'm not Our Lord, and I have done it. And so in the first place, I'm making reparation like that. I'm not putting these in a, in a moral order. I'm just doing it in the order. So that's one. Another place is all this suffering is meritorious. So by suffering correctly, as it were, by taking up my cross and following the Lord, and this is what I want to talk specifically more about, you know, by doing that and imitating our Lord, I'm meriting. So I'm growing in holiness. In the third place, I'm getting out of purgatory time. Because insofar as that's purifying me. So God has used the cross that is the mystery of the cross. The cross is actually the key to everything. It's a huge, huge, huge error to think 
that, oh, as I become holy, it becomes more like, you know, skipping through the forest, blowing kisses at squirrels or something. That's not how it is at all. One can carry you have a cross, so God is going to give you every cross. But you have, a, you know, so you're doing it. And it's also, since we're all in it together, we're helping in our in the way that God wants, wills for us, in our particular role in the mystical body, we're helping advance the mission of the mystical body, which is to do Christ's work through time. And so we're we're performing in some minuscule way our role in imitation of Christ. And so that suffering is helping other members somewhere in some way. So if I'm suffering here, it can take something off somebody there. And this is a great mystery that we can't see. Sometimes people sometimes people actually know for whom they're suffering, and that that does happen for the most part. In this life, one shouldn't go questioning into those things because you're going to probably get an answer, but it's probably going to be from the dude with horns and you won't know it. This is not a good thing to look for mystical answers. If heaven wants to know something mystical, heaven will let you know and give you a director that can sort through that. But you just sit here and say, no, this is what God is willing for me because it's part of his providence. Oh, it doesn't mean we don't pray to get rid of it. We have our Lord's example, you know. If it's your will, take this cross from me, but not my will, your will be done. And as long as that's his will, we want to keep bearing that with equanimity. Now, we're not going to be able to if it's a significant cross. So we, that, but what is that doing? That is teaching us humility too, because we realize I actually can't do this. And so we start inviting our Lord more and more into our hearts. So the suffering also helps us become humble, which is where we started in this little part. But it starts making us become humble. And it gives us a greater reverence towards God because we start realizing more and more that, wow, when I get right down to it, he's God and what do I have to offer? <laughs> you know? And uh, and it really starts giving a clarity to someone that, that wasn't there before. Even though they think they had it figured out, they realize, well, I didn't have anything figured out almost. It just keeps doing that. And it goes in layers. You know, the pride goes away in layers because, you know, there we are. So, but the more the more just we are, the more injustice we're we're going to endure. Don't think that God's mad at us because of that. You notice none of this is said. I've said nothing about God's anger because that's not what we're talking about. There's different kinds of suffering, of course. There's stuff where you know, like, okay, if you got drunk, the hangover, oh, that's your problem. You know, we can understand that. That's not a secret. But suffering that you, that's part of the natural consequences of things, and we shouldn't complain because we drank too much. But uh, a lot of suffering just seems to come into our life. That's clearly something that God, in some way, is willing or permitting. 